Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Christ is born. Glorify Him. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. We are still within the Christmas post-festive in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. It's part of where we get this idea, and of course the Christmas song, 12 Days of Christmas. It's all part of that wonderful bell curve I always talk about here on this program, that rhythm where it's a rising action, the climactic moment, which would be the birth of Christ itself, the actual event, and then the fallout in a good way, the falling action, what comes from that the sort of descending action in which we actually live out the effects, the reality of the event. And that's what we're in now. So it's called the post-festive. And that post-festive goes to the end of the year, December 31st. Speaking of the end of the year, this is the final program of Light of the East for this year of 2019. And I want to just say a word of thanks for being with us for yet another year especially our thanks to our wonderful engineer and producer, Armin Chabatari. And hopefully God will grant us another fruitful year of spreading the message of unity in the church through especially the gifts of the Eastern lung of the church. The gifts of both lungs of the church, of course, as always, we talk about that here, but primarily the gifts of the Eastern lung of the church. So again, I thank everyone for another wonderful year here at Light of the East, and hopefully God will grant us another blessed year, at least another one as we go into the year 2020. Boy, that sounds strange, doesn't it? I remember as a kid, remember that book, 1984, that was supposed to be some real space-age-type futuristic book? Well, here we are talking about the year 2020. Incredible. But praise God, we are here still together on this earth in which he has come upon and fused himself into miraculously in this divine condescension, this incarnation, this Christmas event. On this day in the liturgical calendar of the Byzantine Church, two things are happening this particular year. First of all, it is the Sunday after Christmas, Sunday after the actual birth. And on that Sunday in our liturgical calendar, we celebrate and observe 
Joseph, the foster father of Christ, King David, you know, Jesus' ancestor, and James, cousin of the Lord, or sometimes referred to as a brother of the Lord. Now, it's interesting that word brother of the Lord. In many Eastern churches, they consider that word brother to be just what it means, only more like a half-brother. They say that James, this particular James, there was more than one James among the apostles, this particular James, who was related to Jesus Christ himself, they say in many Eastern churches that he was indeed the brother of Christ, a half-brother, though, that he was the son of Joseph by another marriage. In other words, Joseph lost his first wife, and he was then preserved and reserved to be espoused to the Virgin Mary. Others will say, and that's the, the dominant teaching, is that this word brother of the Lord actually means cousin. In other words, it's a word that's from the Semitic language is very difficult to translate exactly. They tended to refer to close cousins or friends even as brothers. Sometimes we do that too. But in the Semitic language, it carried a little more weight. So the prevailing teaching is that this cousin of the Lord, brother of the Lord, James, is in fact a cousin of Jesus Christ, although some Eastern churches would disagree. But in the liturgical text for this day, they mention these three individually. For David, it says, let us praise David the king. Now, already there's something significant there because Jesus Christ came from a royal lineage, not because he was, you know, highfalutin, royal in the sense that we think of it. Royal meaning he was, he's the king of heaven, the king, the king, God, the king of the earth, king of everything. And so he came from a royal lineage, that being the lineage of David, way back in the Old Testament. So it says, let us praise David the king, the ancestor of God, because from him came forth the branch, who is the virgin. See, the Virgin Mary's line came from that part of Christ's heritage in which David was involved. So David and Jesse, that was David's father, the lineage that would then produce the Virgin Mary, which in turn would produce Jesus Christ. It says, because from him came forth the branch who is the virgin. It's often said that the branch sprouted from the root of Jesse, and that branch refers to the Virgin Mary. Because from him came forth the branch who is the virgin. From her bloomed the flower, Christ. So you see, it's root, branch, and flower. Christ, who summoned Adam and Eve from corruption, he is compassionate towards all. Now, for Joseph, it says this. In these, again, these are the liturgical texts, the prayers of, in this particular case, the evening prayer, the Vespers of the Byzantine liturgy. In his advanced years, Joseph clearly saw the prophecies fulfilled. It was truly a strange betrothal. Now, I'll stop there for a second. In the magnificent icon of the Nativity of Christ, Joseph is shown usually in the lower left or lower right of the picture plane. I mean, way off to the, to the left or the right. And he's sitting there with his hand up to his face. His face is obviously an expression of someone being troubled. And standing over him is an old man, an old shepherd. And that shepherd symbolizes, most of the time, it symbolizes the devil trying to have Joseph doubt this incredible mystery that he can hardly comprehend. Remember, and even the scripture, it says, Joseph was thinking about reporting his wife because he thought that she committed adultery because he couldn't figure out how in the world could she be with child, although he had no relations with her. But he did figure it out. 
He's obviously a righteous, righteous man, so he wouldn't have doubted too long. But he was a finite creature, so he would struggle with this. And in him, we see our own struggle. We see in Joseph the struggle, the symbol of how we sometimes have to struggle with trusting God and understanding his ways. And we don't understand that. We don't always like them. Joseph didn't understand it at first either, and it was difficult on him. Imagine the shame. This was this wonderful virgin woman that remained a virgin while she was married to Joseph, and yet she's pregnant. I mean, he's tried to imagine that. So Joseph, being a righteous man, of course, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, he comes to that realization that it was to the Holy Spirit and that everything is is all right, good and holy. But he symbolizes for us, as depicted in the icons and in the scripture and in this liturgical text, that struggle to accept, understand God's will, something that we all struggle with. So it says, It was truly a strange betrothal, and he received a revelation from the angels who cried out, Glory to God who set down peace upon the world. And then in the verse for James, cousin or brother of the Lord, Let all of us praise the relative of the Lord, James the Apostle, who bravely suffered martyrdom as a bishop by his prayers, O Christ our God, who was wrapped in swaddling clothes in the cave, save all those who extol you. So James represents that martyrdom that all Christians will have to suffer in one way or the other. It starts with our baptism. That's right, baptism is our plunging into the waters of martyrdom, of the dying to self and rising to our better self, our real self, the best version of ourself by a successive, in a sense, ratification of our baptism throughout life. In other words, every time we choose good over evil, we ratify that baptism. It's a martyrdom. Sometimes it may be blood martyrdom. Most of the time, it is so-called white martyrdom, where it's a sacrifice, a dying, and sometimes a suffering in other ways, but not necessarily shedding blood. So James, who was related to the Lord, was one of the first to be martyred, one of the first to be a leader in the community, the first early Christian community, and yet to be martyred for that. So what's happening on this Sunday is we focus on people who had a special relationship to the Lord. David, in his ancestry, and in a sense foreshadowing the coming of Christ, the Joseph, the just Joseph, the struggle for faith and righteousness, and finally James, a leader of the community who would suffer martyrdom. These three people call to mind that this presence of Jesus Christ in our midst through the incarnation, through the nativity, is really an event about relationship, about our relationship with Christ, which will embody all the three things that these three relatives, David, Joseph, and James, embodied in their relationship to Christ, whether by ancestry or actually being a knowing Christ while on earth. So our experience of Christmas, of this nativity, is really about renewed relationships, first with Christ himself, with our faith, and then with those around us, our spouse especially, our children, people at work, people at church, friends. It's about renewing a relationship with creation, with life, a renewed attitude, but especially a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
that that is renewed, made real, made authentic, made intimate, because that is why this event of Christ's birth happened. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion, and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Welcome to a St. Nicholas Minute. Do you know why Dutch children expect St. Nicholas to arrive by a Spanish boat? In 1087, sailors brought my physical remains from Myra in Asia Minor to my new home, St. Nicholas Basilica in Bari, Italy. Later on, Alphonsus V of Aragon placed the city of Bari under the Spanish Kingdom of Naples. From then on, Bari was under Spanish authority well into the 18th century. As a result, Dutch children came to expect St. Nicholas, or Santa Claus as they call me, to travel from what was once considered part of the Spanish kingdom, namely Bari, Italy. And that's why to this very day, just a few weeks before my feast day of December the 6th, with great fanfare, I still make my annual arrival to Amsterdam by Spanish boat. But no matter where I am, no matter how I travel, I'm filled with the joy of Christmas. For Christ is born, glorify him. <laughs> You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. And again, I say to Christ is born. And of course, you say back to me. That's right. Glorify him. We're in the post-festive of the great feast of the nativity. It's actually a whole time of manifestation, of incarnation. We'll move from the crib, from the manger, where it all started. Actually, it started first and foremost, of course, in the womb of the Virgin Mary on March 25th, the Feast of the Annunciation. From there to Christmas Day, the birth of Christ, then on to his circumcision, then on to his theophany, and everything will come to its fullness then. Before we know it, then we'll go into the season of Lent, where we'll celebrate and move into that time of his death and resurrection. But right now we're in that period of manifestation, of light, of illumination. All these words go together. Illumination, incarnation, manifestation, revelation. In other words, this is what made everything have that mystical character to it, that mystical character. In other words, where we see everything in light of Christ, all creation, everything. This is why we have to renew our relationship, especially on this Sunday, the Sunday of relationships to Christ, David, Joseph, and James. But also, it happens on this particular year, on December 29th, this Sunday, that in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, we observe the slaughter of the holy innocents. In other words, those children in Bethlehem that Herod had killed because he wanted to kill Jesus and he didn't know where he was. So he figured, okay, I'll kill every child that's two years old and younger. He's probably not older than two, so I'll start with two years old and under. That way I won't miss anybody. Imagine, imagine the horror of having Roman soldiers come into a home and take a babe out of the arms of their mother and kill it in front of her. I mean, it's just incredible. 
And yet all the babies that were killed, the sum total of that is less than that many that are killed in one day through abortion in our country. Once again, the innocents are slaughtered too, only this time inside the womb. And now, most regrettably, they are allowed to be slaughtered even outside the womb soon after birth, according to some very, very unfortunate evil laws in the world that are now allowing that. So again, the innocent are hurt. And in the liturgical text, we say this, and this is very interesting because it gives us the really the, one of the gems of the very reason for this incarnation, even amidst this bloodshed of innocent babies. This is what we sing during the Vesper service on December 29th. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the descendants of Judea lost their power. May the infants who were slain for Christ rejoice. May the people lament because a cry was heard at Ramah. Rachel was crying and bewailing her children, as it was written. For the wicked king has slain the infants, thus fulfilling the scriptures. He has stained Judea with innocent blood. Now here's the interesting part. Thus the earth is crimsoned with the blood of the infants. The church of the Gentiles is mystically purified and is now clothed in beauty. The truth has come. God has revealed himself to those sitting in darkness. He is born of the virgin to save us. Imagine, he has stained Judea with innocent blood, which then, as the texts say, means that the earth is crimson with the blood of the infants. In other words, this horrific thing was actually sanctifying the world, the earth. Not that God wanted to do it that way. God did it by his very incarnation. But blood is sacred. That's why whenever there was a loss of blood, you were richly impure in the Old Testament. This was especially the case for women during their monthly cycle. It wasn't because there was something wrong or dirty about them. It's because this was a, a very sacred event. It was a loss of life, and there had to be a re-entry into life. So they had to stay back from the temple and go through certain rituals of re-entrance, reintegration, because of the loss of blood. Forgiveness comes by way of blood. Life is carried in the blood. So when blood is shed, there is something horrific, yes, but something sanctifying that happens. So the blood of these innocents in the time of the birth of Christ was actually sanctifying the world, sanctifying Bethlehem, sanctifying the earth by the blood spilled on the earth, sanctifying humanity. So what's wonderful about this, not the event itself, but what God does, the miracle, the incarnation, the wonderful thing about that is that it can take something horrific and it turns into something sanctifying. Just like Christ shedding of blood as an innocent person on the cross, sanctified humanity. There is no sanctification. There is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. It was that way in the Old Testament with the temple sacrifices. They sacrificed the lambs. Now, with Christ, we have the new lamb, the true lamb of God, of which the others were just a prefigurement. And there he is, slain, an innocent lamb on the cross, just as these innocents would be slain like lambs. But in that slaying, once again, God triumphs, and he turns that into sanctification. This is the miracle of this Christmas event. 
this is the miracle of our faith, of this whole incarnational worldview that you're seeing through the liturgy of the church, the feast days, like this feast day of Christmas. It's seeing how God is the God of all, that he is the last word, that he triumphs over even the most tragic thing, the most horrific thing, is turned into something life-giving only because of Christ infusing himself into this reality, our reality, this, this time, this creation into our own lives. This is the miracle of the incarnation. This is why we rejoice in it, not just because it's a babe in the manger, but because it's the triumph, the triumph of good over evil. We just have to live that. Oftentimes you hear it said when we get very very even despondent about things, almost despairing about how things are in the church sometimes, and also certainly in the world today. And oftentimes someone might say, well, be of cheer because God has won the victory. We've already won. Don't act defeated. We've won. We just have to know it and live it and live it until the final, final victory when Christ comes again in glory and power for the last judgment and to take those who are saved with him to the heavenly kingdom, the new Jerusalem, the wedding feast of the Lamb forever. So Christ has won by the fact that he has incarnated himself into our reality and lifted it up. We just have to live that way. See, we have to live this Christmas thing. The gifts are good. It's okay. They're a symbol of something beautiful. A lot of what we do, the decorating, the getting together, the food and all that is part of it. It's very, very, very good. But I sometimes compare it to the crumbs of a wonderful loaf of bread, a wonderful loaf of homemade bread. Boy, there's hardly anything more wonderful than homemade bread. Even the smell, how the smell permeates the home. And it's just such a warm, wonderful smell. Oh, I remember that when I was a kid, especially my grandmother. She's always baked bread. And the bread is wonderful. Therefore, anything from the bread is wonderful too, such as the crumbs. But you don't bake a bread just to have crumbs, as tasty as they are, like to lick up the crumbs, even because it's so good. We bake the bread to have the bread, even where Christ was born. The city of Bethlehem means the house of bread. Isn't that providential? See, everything was all planned out by God to the last detail, because Jesus Christ would be the bread of life, and he would institute the Eucharist, make himself physically present to us through the bread of the Eucharist. So the bread is it. The bread is the thing. That's what we bake for. The crumbs are part of it. And they're delicious. We like to scoop up even the little crumbs when the bread is so good. But that's not the focus. The same thing with Christmas. So the bread for Christmas would in fact be the bread of life. Jesus Christ pursuing peace, forgiveness, first and foremost, as we're talking about today, in our closest relationships. Yeah, the number one thing, for those who are, who are married, there is nothing greater that you can give your children. You talk about a gift for them. I'm sure you may have made sure that they had wonderful gifts for Christmas. Eyes all aglow from St. Nicholas, Santa Claus, whatever. I'm sure there was a lot of marvelous gift giving, very touching, very meaningful, very memorable. But you know what they want more than anything else? A child wants more than anything else, parents? Wants mom and dad to love one another. 
that live in a peace and harmony. Not that everything's perfect. There won't be some strife and some difficulties, misunderstandings, but the child wants to know that it is in a home where mom and dad truly love each other. That's the greatest gift you can give your children. The greatest gift you can give one another as a married couple. Marriage is everything. In fact, this incarnational event, this event of Christ's nativity, was in fact a spousal mystery. Jesus Christ created a bride for himself, his, own, his creation come to fullness in the church. And the Christmas event is about Jesus Christ wedding that bride, coming to unite with her in intimacy and love. This is what's great about Christmas, and therefore this is what is so special about marriage. I want to thank you for listening. Continue to have a most blessed season of our Lord's Nativity. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. out EWTN's official YouTube channel. Just follow the link on our homepage at EWTN.com or go to YouTube.com slash EWTN. Watch EWTN's live shows or today's homily from the Daily Mass. Click the upload button to see our most recent clips. You can also find all of EWTN YouTube content by clicking the playlist button. It's all on the official EWTN YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash EWTN. Visit today. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!